Well, good morning again. I was not for sure if I was gonna make it through, Drew. I thought I might have to call for reinforcements up there for a moment, but we were able to make it through. Um, this morning, I'm honored and humbled to be able to preach from God's word. I'm thankful for the opportunity that pastor's given, but I'll be honest with you, this has nothing to do with me and it has everything to do with Jesus. And so this morning, I just want us to pray for a moment before we get into God's word that he would just speak to our hearts. And this morning, as I prayed with some of the deacons in the prayer room, I prayed the same thing, Lord, today speak to me. And so let's ask the Lord to do that right now. Father, we love you. Thank you that your word is alive and well. Thank you that it cuts sharper than any two-edged sword. Lord, today, if there's anything in our lives, Lord, if there's anything in my life that does not need to be, that, be there, would you reveal that to us? And Lord, help us cast that out of our lives. Remove it so that we'll never have another issue with it. God, this morning, if I have planned anything on my own, Lord, would you remove it from my notes and would you remove it from my lips? And Lord, would you only deliver through me what you want us to hear? So Lord, speak to us now. We pray this in your precious name, amen. Well, I wanna invite you to turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter five. 2 Corinthians chapter five, and Andrew Smith actually read, I think, the key verse within this passage that we're gonna look at. Now, we're gonna look at verses 12 through 21 in 2 Corinthians chapter five, but he read verse 17, which I'll reread in a moment. But you know, Paul is addressing the church of Corinth. He has encouraged them, he's told them some things they're doing well, but to be honest with you, he's had to tell them a lot of things that they aren't doing well. And he's had to rebuke them in some areas and confront them in some areas. And so we find ourselves in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and in the first eight verses, it talks about the assurance of salvation, that Jesus came to earth, he lived a perfect life, he died a horrific death, he rose a victorious resurrection, and he is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he offers the gift of salvation to anyone that'll call upon the name of the Lord. So Paul is telling the church of Corinth there is assurance of salvation. In verses 9 through 11, he addresses the judgment seat of Christ. One day we will stand before a mighty God. One day you will stand before a mighty God. And it's not going to matter what is in your 401k. It won't matter what size house you lived in or what cars you drove or what kind of job you held. It is only going to matter what you did with his son, Jesus Christ, while you were here on earth. So he addresses the judgment seat of Christ. And then we find ourselves in verses 12 through 21 where Paul talks about being reconciled to God. The, the, this idea of reconciliation. So let's look at verse 17 together. The title of the message this morning is, What's New With You? Oftentimes we'll be standing beside someone we hadn't seen in a while. We'll say, so what's new? And you know, they got a new job or a new house or a new puppy or whatever the case may be. And that's kind of all we talk about. But in the Christian life, what's new? Look at verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. We have heard this verse many times. We have probably it on a picture in our home or we've written it down or we've memorized it. I was just talking to a young man this morning and said he just memorized this verse and we love this idea that when we get saved, old things have passed away. We just saw that picture of baptism, new things, behold, new things have come. But the question is, what new things is he talking about? He talks about new life, 
But I think sometimes we lose track of everything God's done for us and everything he's doing for us and everything he's going to do for us. A few years ago, our life group was at a fireworks show. Now, there was probably about a six or seven families, and uh, my kids were much smaller. I think we only had two kids at the time, and so they were pretty small, and we had the chairs set up and the blankets, and the kids were playing, and there was cornhole and sweet tea and watermelon. I mean, it's the 4th of July, amen? And so we're doing those things, and we're having fun, and right as it starts to get a little bit dark, we broke out that incredible Dollar Tree purchase. You've seen them. You know what they are. They're these little glow sticks, and you break them and you uh, begin to break the inside and they begin to glow. Now this one's actually was in our garage from last year. And so I'm hoping that it's gonna light up a little bit, but you've seen what these things will do when they light up. This one must not be very good. So my kids would not like this one, but they have these little glow sticks and they're waving them around. Now what's interesting is the girls have turned them into princess wands. The boys have turned them into swords. It's amazing the difference between the two. And so as the night went on and glow sticks were everywhere and there was all different types of colors and the kids were having a blast, it got time where it was dark enough to put out the rest of the lights and for the fireworks to begin. And so all the adults sat down in their chairs and we were very excited. We were, had been anticipating this all night to look up in the sky and to see the incredible fireworks that would take over the entire sky. So all the kids got there on the blankets and we sat there, and as a matter of fact, I was sitting with Andrew Smith's family. And we're sitting beside each other, and they, boom, there they come. There's red and purple and blue and green and yellow and orange and all the colors, and it was beautiful everywhere you looked. And it was filling the whole sky, and there was such a big show that you couldn't just sit and see all of them. You actually had to move your head. It was filling all the sky. And there was a lot of ooing and awing. And there was a lot of, you heard the word, awesome. That word means to be in awe. And it was amazing as we looked up and after about six or seven minutes, I looked down and all the kids are down on the blankets and they are staring down at these little glow sticks. And they're trying to look through the light and they're waving it in front of their faces. And I told Andrew, I said, can you believe this? They've got their heads stuck down with this little 25 cent thing that obviously doesn't work and they're missing the grand finale of what's up in the sky. And I would submit to you that oftentimes we are so focused on the things of the world that we walk around with our glow sticks and we miss the grand finale of what God is up to because God is at work. I believe God has done a work for you and he did that on the cross. I believe God wants to do a work in you and that's reconciling you to himself. He wants to save you. And I believe he wants to do a work through you. He has a ministry for each and every one of us. And if we're not careful, we get so focused on the things of the world that we miss the fact that we serve an awesome God. He is perfect, he is righteous, he is holy. He is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He is the great I am. He is the author and finisher of our faith. And we sometimes get so focused on who's in the White House and who's in the courthouse that we forget who's on the throne. Our culture is changing, our God never will. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so I would encourage us today to get our heads out of the glow sticks and put our focus and eyes on God.
the author and finisher of our faith. So let's talk this morning with this verse. New creature, old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Number one, he gives Christians new life. New life. You say, I already know that. That was in the verse. I've read that. I've heard that. You just wore a t-shirt in the baptistry that said new life. I understand that. But you know, oftentimes we don't fully grasp what he means by new life. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Notice what it says in verse 12 right here of chapter five. We are not again commending ourselves to you, but are giving you an occasion to be proud of us so that you will have an answer for those who take pride in appearance and not in heart. I want you to look at that word answer, so that you will have an answer. You see, when we get new life, there's some byproducts that come with that new life. One of my favorite people at Bellevue Baptist Church, whether it be a lay leader, whether it be someone sitting in the pew, whether it be a staff member, one of my favorite people is our beloved senior adult pastor, Sam McElroy. Sam is hilarious. I love to be around him. Sam is the best dresser we've got on staff. I'm telling you, today he's in a seersucker suit. He's right over there if you don't believe me. Alice loves spending time with Sam. He's a mentor. And he's a guy that has stayed faithful to the Lord for years and years and years. And so I just love to be around him. I can't get enough time with Sam McElroy. So back in April, he asked me to go on a one-night trip with he and his two boys. And I was so excited. My wife knows. I was giddy about it. And I remember going to Sam's house, and we loaded up in his SUV, and we got ready to go and pick up one of his sons, and we were going to meet the other son at our destination. And so we're in the car, and Sam's got all the food and the snacks and the drinks. We're set. I'm saying, man, this is the life. I'm with Sam McElroy. We're driving down the road, and... He shared with me, I said, I, I, I like your car. He said, you know what? I finally got rid of my old Ford and I, and I, and I bought this used a Ford SUV. And he said, it's got a lot of buttons. I don't know what most of them do. So I just drive it. I said, okay. So he drove, we picked up one of his sons and we, Sam drove for a while. And then his son got in the driver's seat and he began to drive. And Sam said, you know, it's interesting. If you get too close to the car in front of you, our, my, my car will slow down. He said, uh, you know, if you try to go to the right, it, it'll, it'll let you know that you shouldn't go to the right because there may be somebody over there. He said, it's really smart. And his son said, you know, you can actually set what distance that is to the car in front of you if you want to get a little closer. And he began to show him on the steering wheel there's a button and you could change the, 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 the distance of, of when it will start braking. Well, I'm sitting in the back seat. I drive a Ford as well. When I got home, I got in my Ford and realized my Ford doesn't do that, Okay. But what I also realized is when I was growing up and you bought a car, there was really two options. It was the one that you rolled up the window or the one that you pushed the button and the window rolled up, okay? And if you had the button, boy, you were big time, okay? There really wasn't a whole lot of other options. But as cars have progressed, there's a whole lot of options. But what I realized is Sam and I are driving in this car and we know it can get us to point A to point B, but we don't know what all it can do. And I think sometimes we realize God has come into our life and he saved us. I know when I die, I'm going to heaven, but we don't realize all the other things he's done for us. And we don't realize all the other things he's called us to do. And it wasn't until his son got in the driver's seat and began to explain to us what all the car we could do that our eyes were open to all of the options. 
And I would say to you, the more we dig into God's word, the more our eyes are open so that we can see what all God is doing in our lives and what he calls us to do. So new life, Romans 6, 4, therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. He's called us to walk in new life. So what happens to a Christian when they experience this new life? Well, look at verse 12 when it says, you will have an answer for those who take pride in appearance and not in heart. With that new life comes a new vocabulary, a new vocabulary. Your language changes. You've heard Brother Steve tell the story that when he gave his life completely to the Lord in college, his language changed. It looked different than it had before. I've heard people say, you know, I just don't know if, if it's okay for Christians to use profanity or not. Can I just make a statement? It's not. It's not. And by the way, it's really not okay to pay for entertainment that provides those things that the Bible says you're not supposed to say. So when we start looking at that stuff, we've got to ask ourselves, are we using this new vocabulary that he's given us? You know, Ephesians chapter four, verse 29 says, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. So in other words, whatever comes out of your mouth should be true. I heard someone say this one time, it should be true according to this verse. It should be encouraging and it should be necessary. If what you're about to say does not hit all three of those marks, you don't need to say it. So you ask yourself before you respond to somebody, is this true what I'm about to say? If it's true, you ask yourself, is it encouraging? If it's not encouraging, don't say it. And if it passes the first two marks, you ask yourself the third question, is it necessary? Does it really help this situation? And so I believe the words of our mouth are very important. As a matter of fact, I believe everything that we do as believers is very important. First Peter chapter two, verse nine, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession so that you may proclaim that's speaking the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. If you look in the Old Testament, the 12 tribes of Judah, 11 of them were gifted land and they were given all this stuff, but there was the one group, the Levites, that were set apart. It was different. God had called them to something higher. They were the priests. We are the priests. If you are a believer in Christ, we are the priests. He says we're a holy nation, a royal priesthood. What that literally means is we are to be separate from the world. We should talk different. We should look different. We should act different. We should respond different. Why? Because of what it says. So that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness into marvelous light. In other words, don't take your eyes off what Jesus has done in your life. He lets you taste and see that he is good. He took the blinders off your eyes. You no longer walk in darkness, you walk in light. And he calls us to share that with everyone else. So he changes our vocabulary. Look at verse 13. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are of sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, 
that one died for all, therefore all died. It's interesting in the beginning of 13, he says, for if we are beside ourselves, there were people in the church of Corinth that thought Paul was a madman. They thought he had gone crazy and he literally says, well, if I'm crazy, here it is. And he tells them, what does he say? In verse 13, he says, if we are of sound mind. And then in verse 14, he says, Christ controls us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. Not only with that new life comes a new vocabulary, but also with that new life comes a new worldview. A new worldview. How do you view the world? How do we know what is right and wrong? How do we know if we should do something or not do something? Can I just say this? It needs to match up with this right here. I see one of the finest optometrists in Memphis. He goes to church here, Dr. David Moss. His, his um, place of business is right here on Appling, just about a quarter mile down the road. And once a year, I go to Dr. Moss, and he, he's just a, a godly man, loves the Lord, and, and, uh, but he, he checks my eyes out, and he runs all these tests. And I have astigmatism in both eyes, and so I can't really necessarily read my Bible without it. I mean, I could probably figure it out. If I squinted really, really hard, I could probably make some of it out. And as I look out at you, I know that there's, people out there, but I can't recognize any face. And so what he does is he tweaks and he changes my prescription to get it the absolute clearest. And that thing has changed over the years. It has progressed and I've had to get stronger lenses. And this is what I would say to us. When we are looking at the world, I'm not talking physically anymore, just through our eyes necessarily. I'm talking spiritually. When we look at the world, we look at it through the lens of scripture. So is this movie okay to watch? I don't know. Does it go against God's word? Oh, it does? Then no, it's not okay to watch. Is this music okay to listen to? I don't know. Does it glorify the Lord? Does it honor this Bible? Is, it, is there anything in there that's opposite of what God says? Oh, there is? Then you don't need to listen to it. And we could go on and on and on. And see, what happens is when we have a biblical worldview, when we see people that are living lifestyles, and by the way, our culture's all about lifestyles right now, but when we see people through the lens of Scripture living a lifestyle that we don't agree with according to the Scripture, if we look at them through our own fleshly eyes, we get angry. But when we look at them through the lens of Scripture, God gives us a love for them that can only come from the Holy Spirit. And here's the reason I know he does, because he loves them, because he cares about them. Just because they live a different lifestyle doesn't mean that God doesn't love them. Now, we still stand for truth, and we still have to call sin, sin, but there's a way to do that in a loving and gracious way. And everything we do, our whole worldview should be looking through the lens of Scripture. As a matter of fact, Romans 12, 2 says, and do not be conformed to this world. Well, if you don't have a biblical worldview, if you're not looking through the lens of Scripture, you begin to become conformed to the world because that is all you know. That is all you see. And by the way, if you're spending 10 minutes in here but four hours with television, which one do you think is gonna have a bigger impact on you? And so he says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind 
so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. We look through the lens of scripture. And you know, as we begin to see God in a different light, as we begin to see different characteristics of God, as God begins to shine light in those areas of our life that we don't want light shown in because it may show some sin that we don't want to come to the surface, as those things become evident to us, as we look through the scriptures, things begin to become clearer. They begin to become clearer. You know, a few years ago, I know this is a shock to everybody in the room, but I had a knee surgery. And I was out of commission for a little bit. And uh, my son, this is four or five years ago, my son, uh, oldest son, was playing basketball in the driveway with some friends. And he wanted me to come out there and show them how well I could shoot. Well, I, I was having problems. I mean, I was having issues walking. I was just off crutches. There was no way. I said, well, why don't you get your mom to go out there? Oh, Dad, Mom? out on the basketball court. Well, what he doesn't know is she scored over a thousand points in high school. What he didn't know was one time in the Bellevue gym, her and I as a 13 and 14 year old were shooting basketball together and she made 98 free throws out of 100. She missed number 74 and number 100, okay? That's pretty good shooting right there, okay? He didn't know any of this stuff. So she goes out there and she demolishes them, okay? I think she missed two shots. And the more shots that she made, the bigger his eyes got. And all of a sudden, daddy was a nobody because his eyes had been opened. He had a different view of mama that he hadn't seen before. And now he wants mama to come outside and shoot. You see, when we get closer to the Lord Jesus and we get deeper in his word, we get a bigger view of who he is. And everything we do should be looking through the lens of Scripture. He gives us a new vocabulary, and he gives us a new worldview. Look at verse 15. It says, And he died for all, so that they who, who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. What does Paul say? We no longer live for ourselves. I no longer live for myself. I live for Christ who died for me. So not only do you get a new vocabulary and a new worldview, you get a new motivation. I hear people all the time say, I just don't know if I have any purpose in life. I just don't know if I have a reason to go on. Well, the reason is, is they're so focused on all of this stuff that's not gonna amount to anything at the end of life. And one day we're gonna stand before the Lord and all that stuff's gonna be burned up and it's gonna be gone. And the question is, what have we done with Jesus? He gives us a new motivation for life. Why do we live? We live for Christ. We're a new creation. And who made that new creation? Jesus did. And I think oftentimes we forget that. We forget that. Colossians 3, 23, whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. Everything you do should be for the Lord. What if every business in Memphis was made up of employees that were not as focused on climbing the corporate ladder, they were not as focused on making more money, they were not as focused on uh, pleasing the CEO, but they were more focused on pleasing the Lord Jesus Christ. I think Memphis would begin to look a little different, a new motivation. Look at verse 16. It says, therefore, from now on we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, Yet now we know him in this way no longer. Verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, 
He is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. What does he say? Those who are in Christ. When you get new life, you not only have a new vocabulary, worldview, and motivation, you have a new family. You have a new family. You have a new father. He's a heavenly father. He's holy. He's perfect. He will never leave you astray. He will never give you the wrong advice. He will never call you to go the wrong way. And by the way, he's outside of time. And so when we pray and say, God, it's gotta happen on my timetable, I think oftentimes he says, you just wait. You just wait. Because time means nothing. He's your holy father. What else do you get with that family? You get brothers and sisters in Christ. I need my church family. And I'm a child of God. I want you to think about that for a moment. When you get saved, you're a new creation. You are a child of God. I love what John 1.12 says. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. He gave us the right to be children of God. My mind can't comprehend that I'm a child of God. I'm a child of the King. He's my father. In the past few years, I've had the opportunity to sit through four different court hearings where adoptions have gone through with some families that are very close to us. Family in our life group adopted a beautiful young boy a few years ago. They got him when he was, I don't know, months old. And they had him for a couple years. And, and I got to sit in that courtroom. And when I heard the language that the judge used to say, this is no longer your foster child, this is your child. I realized on that day that God had grafted us into his family. He has fused us. We are not adopted children. We are his children because we have been bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. My sister and brother-in-law adopted two kids just a couple months ago and my family and I got to sit in our living room on Zoom and watch and I heard some of that same language that these two young children are no longer their foster children. They are their children and now they have a little baby. They don't introduce their three kids to people and say, this is our biological child and this is our two adopted children. You know what they say? These are our children. And that's what God does for us. And it's amazing to me. He tells us that we're joint heirs with Jesus. Can I make a statement? That doesn't even make sense. Because what you and I deserve is a separation from God forever and ever. And if we never got another thing from Jesus Christ, we've already had too much already. And yet he desires for us to be his children. We get a new family. Now look at verse 18 through the end. It says, now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You know what else he gives us that's new? He gives us a new calling. A calling is not just for a pastor. 
A calling is not just for a life group teacher. There's a new calling for every single person that gives their life to Jesus. You say, what is it? What does he say in verse 20? Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. He allows you and I to be involved in what he is doing. Henry Blackaby said, find out where God is working and get involved. And I would like to say to you, he's working all over the place whether you think he is or not. He's not silent, he's not quiet, he's not sitting up there worried about what's going on in all of our politics and all that stuff. He's not worried about all that stuff. He's in control, he's on the throne, and he allows us to be his ambassadors. To do what? You see, if the United States sends an ambassador to another country, that person goes to the other country and he has authority on behalf of the President of the United States and the United States to speak on their behalf in that other country. That's a lot of authority, but the authority is not in that person. The authority is that, they are, that he, is, he or she is backed by the United States and the President of the United States. So you say, what are we ambassadors for? We're ambassadors for God, and guess what? That's a whole lot better to be backed by God than be backed by the United States of America. Because he will never fail, fail us. He will never discourage us. He will never cause us to go astray. So what is he calling us to do? Look back at verse 18 at the end, it says, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. What is he saying? You and I have been reconciled to Jesus if we've been saved. In other words, we were lost and dying and separated from God and we were going to a place that nobody wants to go to. And he offers us the gift of salvation and if we repent of our sins, believe that Jesus died and rose from the dead and receive him as our Lord and Savior, we get saved. He reconciles us to himself as if we never sinned to begin with. He forgives all those things. He throws them to the bottom of the sea, forgives them as far as the east is to the west, and he gives us the calling that what he's done in our lives, we're to go out and proclaim to everybody that we're around. So our calling is just to go to people and say, I don't know where you are, but this is who I was, this is what Jesus has done for me, and this is what Jesus can do for you. He gives us this new calling. 2 Timothy 1.9 says, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. He's given us a holy calling. He has called us to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to give a cup of cold water in his name, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. In just a few months, our pastor's gonna meet in this room and he's going to, do some training on how to share the gospel. I hope every single one of you will be in there, will be in this room, because we're gonna encourage, we're gonna equip, and we're gonna send out. Can you imagine if all the couple thousand people that are in this room would all get on fire for Jesus and go out of this room and go to your neighborhoods and your places of business and just start telling people about Jesus? We may have to add a third service because we're gonna fill this room up. That's our calling. He's given us a new calling. Well, this is all in regards to new life. But there's something implied in this passage that I want us to see when he says back in verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. 
How many of you know that we have not experienced all the newness that we're going to experience? Because as the old preacher from Alabama says, it's getting gooder and gooder. Our culture may be getting worse and worse, but we're getting closer to Jesus coming back. And he tells us that he has gone to prepare a place for us and that one day we can go there with him. So not only does he give us new life, he gives us a new future. He gives us a new future. Philippians 1.6, for I am confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. In other words, there's still more to come. If you're still breathing, God's still working in you. He's still got a plan and purpose for you. One day he's gonna come back and we're gonna spend an eternity with him forever and ever. So not only do we get new life, but we have a new future. You say, what all does that involve? Well, it involves a new home for one. John chapter 14, verses one through six says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. Thomas answered him and said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? What a great question. How do we know the way? The world is screaming this question at us. Now they're asking it a very different way, but they're screaming that question. How do we know the way? Jesus said in verse six, said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father but through me. He says he has gone to prepare a place for us and that one day we'll get to go be there with him. A week ago this morning at eight o'clock, one of the finest pastors I've ever known passed on from this world, saw Jesus face to face. Our beloved Phil Newberry, who served so faithfully for so many years and literally thousands of people's lives were changed because of the faithfulness of he and his sweet family. And he went through cancer and he had a lot of pain. And I can remember going with some other pastors to anoint him with oil and we cried out to the Lord and we asked the Lord to heal him. And the Lord didn't answer it how we would have liked to have had him answer it here on earth, but guess what, Phil is healed. And Phil will never have another pain. And Phil is up there worshiping the God that he told thousands of people, if not millions of people, from all over the world about. And I can promise you this, Phil is having the time of his life because he had a new future in Jesus Christ. And so we have a new home. Also with that new future is we have a new inheritance. First Peter chapter one, verses three through four says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Guess what? 
parents can work their whole lives, they can put money away in banks, but all of that stuff will be eaten away. Only an inheritance through the shed blood of Jesus Christ that, by the way, is not in a security box in some bank somewhere across the world. It says right here that it is in heaven. We have a new inheritance. And then lastly, and we sang about this earlier, he gives us a new name. Revelation 2.17, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, to him I will give some of the hidden manna. And I will give him a white stone and a new name written on the stone which no one knows but he who receives it. You say, what exactly does that mean? I don't know exactly what it means, but this is what I do know. My daughter that got baptized this morning's name is Chloe Faith Ewalt. If you know Chloe, you probably call her Chloe, Chloe girl, or Clo-Clo. But when her and I are in her bedroom praying at night or we're sitting at the dinner table, I have a name that I told you about in the baptistry and I call her Little Bit. That's my name for her. And I have one for each one of my kids. And, and we speak to each other differently and that's an intimate time in our relationship where she calls me daddy bit and those are our names that we speak. And what happens is the veil has been torn in two. You and I don't have to go to a priest to talk to God the Father because Jesus has created a way. He's the high priest. He was the great sacrifice and he has opened up the heavens so that you and I can have an intimate conversation with a very holy and real God. And he knows every hair on your head. He's got them numbered. He loves you and he has a new name for you. You know, when I look at this passage and I look at this new life and I look at this new future, I'm reminded of the glow sticks. I'm reminded of those kids down on those blankets and they were missing all of this. And sometimes we know we have new life, but we're missing all of these other things. And what Satan wants to do, the Bible tells us he's come to steal, kill, and destroy. We know that. He's so crafty. He's so wise. He's coming after you with everything he's got. He's just trying to distract you. I believe a lot of the issues we deal with in our lives are distractions to keep us from the Lord. And so you say, what is the application for this morning? Because you've given us all this new stuff if we give our hearts to the Lord. The application is this, whether you are saved, you are a Christian, or whether you are not, you don't have a relationship with the Lord, it is the same call today for both. It is a call to repentance. You know, we use that word repentance when we're talking about salvation, but we don't like to oftentimes talk about repentance once we're saved. Repentance is not a one-time thing. Because guess what? We're gonna sin again. And there are some things we struggle with that are repetitive sins in our life. And what, what happens is when we get closer to the Lord and he reveals those things to us, we've got two choices. We can repent of that sin and get closer to the Lord or we can continue on in that sin and drive a wedge between us. The Bible does not say revival will come to the land when all of the lost people repent. The Bible says we will experience revival when the Christians repent. 
And so whether you're a Christian or you're not, today I want to call all of us, including myself, to repentance. I read a quote this last week that wrecked me. I shared it with Drew, and I'm telling you, it's stout. It's strong. It's a strong statement. I heard a guy one time say it's stronger than woodpecker lips, okay? It's strong right there, okay? We're going to put it on the screen, and we're going to leave it there for a moment. This is from Major Ian Thomas and his book, The Indwelling Life of Christ. I wish I could read the whole paragraph to you, but it's just too much to tear apart. He says, every area of your life in which you have not learned to be truly dependent on God is an area of your life in which you have not as yet repented. I want to read it again to you. I wanted to read it a little slower because I want it to sink in for just a moment. Every area of your life in which you have not learned to be truly dependent on God is an area of your life in which you have not as yet repented. I want to ask you a question. Are you dependent on the Lord in every single area of your life? Or are you walking around defeated and discouraged, full of worry and anxiety? Are you looking at the things of the world? Are you like Peter when he stepped out of the boat? And as long as he kept his eyes on Jesus, he's walked on the water, but then when he started looking at the things around him, it began to sink. And the Bible says Jesus walked to him and he grabbed him and he picked him up and he put him back in the boat. See, some of us are in this room and you know what we need? We need the hand of Jesus to pick us up and put us back in the boat. And we need to get our eyes off of all the issues and problems around us and we need to put our eyes on Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of our faith. We need to focus in on him and the way to do that begins with repentance. Repentance. 